Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, here we are in our Ecclesiology series. And before we hop into that, just a few housekeeping things. Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software. I know our listeners heard that at the beginning of the show. But one of the things we like to do each week as we celebrate what a great tool Logos Bible Software is, is just highlight a, a feature in the software that's one of our favorites. And I want to tell uh, our listeners about one that they probably, if you've never used it, probably didn't know is there. And that is the amazing uh, media that is a graphics. So when I'm searching, when I'm studying a passage and preparing a sermon, not only can I type in, you know, Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 to 33, and have all of my resources in there, on the left-hand column, there actually are beautifully made graphics of verses that have a uh, a verse that a graphic artist has turned into sort of a meme that's ready for me to share on our church's social media. So not only can I write the sermon in Logos, not only are all of my commentaries there, I can actually also just click on a on a graphic, share to our church's social media page with just a, hey, looking forward to talking about Genesis chapter 15 with all of you this weekend. And it's just got this beautiful uh, verse from Genesis 15 that that's very eye-catching. And man, that, that makes a, a pastor's job really easy because we wear so many hats and end up having to do a little bit of uh, graphic design on the side. And it's nice to have that part taken care of. Absolutely. I can tell you as uh the pastor that handles our social media. It's, it's a great feature for sure. I also want to give a quick shout out. Uh, you know, we did a couple of giveaways recently. Um, so I wanted to just congratulate Josh Cypret. Um, he won um, the uh, Wisdom Pyramid um, book giveaway. And then also give a shout out to Daniel Harper. He was the winner of the Theocast Faith versus Faithfulness giveaway. So congratulations, guys. Uh, your books are in the mail uh, and we're very excited um, for you to be able to dig into those very, very soon. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, hey, we're talking about ecclesiology and uh, moving through this ecclesiology being the doctrine of the church, talking about um, uh, what the church is. This is we've talked about the gospel and the Bible and, and the church. And so what we we on last week's episode, we talked about the, the role of the Holy Spirit as it relates to what the Holy Spirit does when we gather for corporate worship and gauge you sort of uh, debunked the bad phrase of, I just want to go to a church where the spirit is free to move. Uh, or you'll hear this, you'll hear this phrase where, where uh, the, these contemporary worship songs, Holy spirit, you are welcome here, right? This is, I did kind of uh, that, that sort of idea. Um, what, what do you, how, how are we going to pivot or build on that this week as we talk about the role of the spirit? Yeah, so we want to want to get into today kind of a part two of this conversation on the Holy Spirit and just really um, give you uh, briefly 
um, a theology of the Holy Spirit, if we can, and, and understand kind of um, our reform perspective on how we view the Holy Spirit and why we do the things that we do um, in 30 minutes or less. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give you the disclaimer that we're not going to exhaust the conversation here. There are whole books and whole sections of systematic theologies on the Holy Spirit in the conversation, but I really want to just kind of give a 30,000 foot um, explanation for um, how we understand the moving of the spirit throughout the scriptures and how that informs um, why we do certain things uh, in the reformed church and why we don't do certain things in the reformed church in, in terms of how we understand the spirit. Uh, so Scott, as we, we think about the spirit, the first thing that I think is super important, it goes back to our conversation from last week um, about the spirit and about his freedom to move. The Holy spirit is God. Third person, third person in the Trinity. We believe that God uh, is one God in three persons: um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're, they are of the same substance, equal in power and glory. The reason we use that phrase in the the Confession and Catechisms uh, of the Westminster is because of going all the way back to the councils, where they were having conversations about Jesus not being of the same substance with the Father. So right. we be- we believe that the Spirit is on par of the same substance, equal in power and glory with the Father and the Son. And and we also believe that the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal. That is to say, it's not as though the the Father is the general and the Son is the colonel and the Holy Spirit is a foot soldier. That uh, They have sort of a pecking order, if you will. Uh, and so that they have the same, they are the same as substance, equal in power and glory. They're all equally glorious. Uh, and there's no a distinction there in, in sort of value or rank. And the, and the way I've always tried to explain it to my students or other people, um, you know, I would stay, try to steer clear of analogies to try to explain mm-hmm. the Trinity to people. You know, I'm always uh, mindful of that, that famous Lutheran satire video of St. Patrick's trying to ex- explain to Donald and Connell uh, the Trinity. The The better, better way we, to make We're going to put that in the show notes. We absolutely are. If you, if you don't, if you don't listen to it at least once a year during St. Patrick's day, then you're lacking. So um, in, in that, the way I try to explain it to people a lot of times is uh, really focusing on how the the Trinity works together. That way you can understand how they work. Uh, one of my favorite Christian rappers, Shylin, um, has a song called Mission Accomplished. Well, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And one of the things he says to kind of explain this, explain you know the big $20 word, the ontological uh, working of, of the of the Trinity the father chooses them. The son gets bruised for them. The spirit renews them and produces fruit in them is, is the line from Shylin's song. So that's how you start to see how each person of the Trinity works together as one team, one unit, one God accomplishing uh, redemptive history. Uh, so when we talk about the spirit, it's important to see that the spirit was there in the beginning, just like um the son and the father was, you know, it wasn't as if the spirit shows up at Pentecost and we've never seen him before. Right. I mean, going, going into Genesis chapter one, uh, the very first couple of verses, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the spirit hovered over creation, like, like a mother hen over, over there. Um, 
their eggs, right? It was the spirit that was overseeing creation and, and active in the work of creation. Or, or the baptism of Christ. Obviously, you have the son standing in the water. You have the voice of the father. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then you have the spirit coming and descending like a dove. Same, same imagery uh, as you see in Genesis uh, chapter 1. And it's important here because you'll see imagery about the Holy Spirit. People will use uh, the dove, right? Uh, you'll see that in cert- certain logos, certain, certain icons. The spirit isn't a dove, right? It's, it's metaphorical or similarly language. He descended like a dove, right? He isn't actually a dove. But, you know, a- as you see that, you also see the spirit active in the Old Testament. And that's something we don't think about a lot. You see the spirit working in creation, as we mentioned before. You also see the spirit at work in places like um, with Joseph, Joseph has the ability to interpret dreams is actually what, what bails him out of jail and puts him in the, in the position that he's in to begin with. It's the spirit that gives him the ability to do that. It's the, the spirit that is leading the people of Israel throughout the wilderness and in the, in the ways in which they're, they're guiding. It's the, the, the presence of God resting in the tabernacle. It's the spirit giving the prophets the ability to do signs and wonders, whether it's Elijah calling fire down from heaven or uh, raising people for the dead or all the different ways in which signs and wonders are given. Not that they're the main thing. The way I was telling my kids last night when we were having this conversation, the signs and wonders are the the dessert or the appetizer to, to the information, the revelation, the, the message, which is the main course. Right. And so you see all that kind of lead into, and you mentioned this earlier, Scott, you see all that lead into um, the presence of the spirit and the empowerment of Jesus, right? He's baptized by John. The, the heavens open up. God declares, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The spirit rests on him. And then we see in Luke's gospel, Jesus shows up just like it was custom for every male in the synagogue to be able to stand up and read scripture. It's Jesus, the carpenter's week that week. And he stands up and he reads Isaiah. It's the spirit is upon me to empower me to set the captives free and to give sight to the blind and, and all, all of these things and to proclaim the year of the Lord's Jubilee. And then he rolls that scroll up and he says, Hey, guess what? That's about me. And, yeah. and it's, and it's game on. Right. right? That's a, the mic drop moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they lose their mind because he just said, Hey, guess what? I'm the Messiah. I'm God. That's, that's essentially what he says, yeah. right? Let, let's be clear that Jesus is never confused about who he is. He isn't, he isn't just a, a interesting teacher or a spiritual guru or a really wise guy that we over the years have elevated to God status. He from the jump tells people who he is and it, and it makes them lose their mind, but it's, it's the spirit that ushers in the inauguration of the kingdom through the power of Jesus' signs and wonders. He's able to give sight to the blind and make the lame walk and raise Lazarus and others from the dead. And he's able to let the mute speak and all of these things showing that he has the power of the Messiah that this is, this is the one you've been waiting on. So much so that there's a showdown in Matthew 12 with the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus, because they're basically saying the only reason that you can do anything that you can do here is because you're doing it by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus first attacks their logic, right? Okay, let's have this conversation. If I'm casting out demons 
and Beelzebub wants to put demons in people that how that I'm not working with him, I'm working against him. So your logic doesn't make sense. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's it. And so then the other thing that he says, though, is, hey, you need to watch your mouth. Is essentially what Jesus says. Like, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to give an account for every loose word that you said. And the very thing you're doing here is the unpardonable sin. It's the blaspheme, blasphemation, the you know, blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, it's not something that we can kind of casually do, and then all of a sudden we're beyond forgiveness forever. But it is a moment in which you are absolutely rejecting Jesus on every basic level. And that's that's what the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is. You're essentially attributing the work of Jesus to something else other than God. Yeah, and, and specifically the devil, right? I mean, you you are you yeah. are you are you are looking at the work of Christ and calling it wicked, calling it evil. Yeah, and so that kind of sets the stage. Um, for Jesus to then later on, as he's headed to the cross in John 14 and then John 16, tell his disciples about the coming of the spirit that, Hey, I'm going away and I know that freaks you out, but I'm not leaving you. Right. right. I'm giving, I'm giving you a comforter. I'm giving you a helper. I'm giving you one that is going to be so close to you. And we are so united that it will be as if the father and the son are making it their home with you. I'm going away, but I'm also going to be with you. The world's not going to be able to see me, but you will feel my presence. You will know that I'm, I'm real, that I'm here with you. Yeah, what's what's so remarkable about that in you know John 16 when he says um it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you and when he comes he will convict the world according to sin and righteousness and judgment. So the idea that Jesus is saying that it's a superior place to be to have the spirit in the sense in which he is now present here now that that's a superior place to be than when Jesus was incarnate walking the earth is just mind blowing, but that's what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, um, that's remarkable. Well, one of the reasons is because the spirit is omnipresent, right? Jesus yes. in his incarnation was not omnipresent. It, it, Jesus was ministering here. And while he's ministering here, he's not ministering over here. He, he had to, he had to walk on foot in his, in his incarnation. So he, 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 he wasn't, um, uh, don't get me wrong. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, but he he walked everywhere. But now the Spirit has come, and it is and it is it is omnipresent. Yeah, and so um, you get this sense of what Bavink um, in the wonderful works of God and Calvin in his institutes and and commentaries talks about this this veiling almost right that that uh, the it's like the Spirit and the Son. Um, you don't see them fully present until certain given times. It's not that they weren't there. It just feels as if they were taking a, a back seat. And it's not that they're lesser or 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 whatever or un, uninvolved or unpresent or secondary. It's this beautiful picture of the Trinity placing different roles and placing different actions in the life of the church. Paul lays it out beautifully when he talks about. Uh, in chapter one, the the beautiful plan of redemption that the Father sets the plan in motion. He chooses us in the Beloved, in Jesus. 
right? And then it's the spirit who is the guarantee, the deposit for our inheritance, who is sealing us, who is drawing us to himself and all of those things. And that goes hand in hand with that why, why and how we see the presence of the, of the spirit um, there um, in Jesus's words, that the spirit's going to come and he's going to do a couple of things. He's going to convict you of sin. He's going to call the world to repentance. He's going to help you apostles remember everything to where all of a sudden when the spirit comes, the, the apostles are able to recall things. And that's why they write the way that they do. And they say, man, we didn't understand what was happening here. Now we get it. Right. Right. Absolutely. We were super confused here. This now makes sense. That's because the spirit helped them understand that it helped them recall all the things that they had seen and experienced it. So they could write it down for the benefit of the church. And so then we see the spirit come. We see Jesus tell his disciples to wait until the the spirit has arrived. The spirit drops on them like a strong rushing wind, you know, fiery tongues, the whole deal at Pentecost. And we see something that's super important here to this conversation. We see something that's descriptive, not prescriptive. Scott, can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? What we mean when we say that? Yeah. Descriptive, not prescriptive. You're talking about as it relates to the the spirit coming at Pentecost. Yes. Well, and really, really the book of Acts in general. Like there are a lot, there are lots of things that happen in the book of Acts that I think are simply telling you some things that are going on. Um, but they're not speaking to us directly, but they're not giving you direction on how, how things should happen. D- descriptive is just telling you a story. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's called narrative versus didactic. Um, right. But, but I, I, I find most people, when you want to explain it to them in a layman's terms, descriptive versus prescriptive is, is easier. And being able, Gage, to, to tease out when we're reading the Bible what is descriptive and prescriptive uh, guards us against a number of troublesome ways in which we would, we would um, think that the Bible is calling me to do something when it's not, it's just describing something that happened, right? Prescriptive, the easiest prescriptive is husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Okay, well, I'm a husband, right? Children obey your parents, right? Uh, um, those are those are those are prescriptive. Those are telling me to do something. But then the 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 Israelites went and slew the Philistines. That's 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 descriptive that's just describing something that happened and in acts chapter 2 you have this miraculous way in which the spirit came uh for the first time at pentecost when it came in in this way where the uh, a rushing wind and tongues of fire touching people on the head and they they had in they had in the book of acts this uh sudden miraculous experience of the spirit empowering them when the spirit made its, its sort of its grand entrance uh, that describes something that did happen. It doesn't say that that's always the way the spirit comes. It doesn't right. say that that is the new normal to use, to use 2021 language, that this is the new normal. This is how we're now to expect this to happen. Oh, how often do we watch a TBN or Daystar or some of those prosperity gospel TV channels where, where we're flipping channels and they just absolutely rip things out of their context and they take things that are describing something that happened and then they, they put those 
they put those descriptive things into the prescriptive category and lead people into all sorts of, of heresy and confusion. And it, and it matters because as you're looking at the, the laying out of the scriptures, you're looking at the, the hermeneutics that we need to understand. This is what they, Jesus was describing and the apostles were describing when they talk about this idea of this, this age that is and this age to come. Right. Even the writer of Hebrews talks about one fading away and one one coming forward because there were things that were taking place that had not happened ever in the history of redemption, like Jesus coming. Right. Right. That's one big deal. So then you have the spirit descending on the people of God that now there's no need for a temple. The presence of God will be among his people. We are now the, the, the new temple, right? The, the presence of God dwells with us. Christ is with us. We have no need for a sacrificial system. Christ is the, the fit, sufficient sacrifice. We have no need for a high priest. Jesus is the better high priest. And so as you see the Spirit come and doing extraordinary things, like where you see multiple times in Acts, the proclamation of the gospel and the falling of the spirit and tongues being given, or even how the disciples of John feel like they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm confused. We know about Jesus. John told us what was going on. Catch us up on this Holy spirit thing. We're kind of like, help us understand what's happening. Um, You know, as you see all those things happening, that is simply describing this new age that has come. It's not telling you, for in order for you to be saved, the spirit has to fall, and right. you have to speak tongues. Yeah, you think about uh, I think about in Ephesians two when when Paul says, uh, "For in him we have uh, for in him we both have access to the uh, in one spirit to the Father." So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints with the saints and members of the household of God. And then listen, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together now grows. Well, the, the, that, the, that means that the structure is not the same as the foundation, that the church right. has as its foundation the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, and then everything else is built on that, which is why we see things happening in the lives of the apostles and the prophets and Christ that doesn't happen on us. We're building on their foundation, but we're not the foundation. Correct. Absolutely. And, and that matters when we get into this conversation of full gospel versus half gospel. Right. 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 You have, th- have those that would say, well, unless you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not preaching a full gospel church right. or um, unless unless you're you've experienced all these things, your faith is lacking, your salvation is lacking, your status as a Christian is lacking. And so it now creates all this anxiety in people that. They haven't, like, to, to borrow from the Theocast guys, they haven't been able to go in their prayer closet and have this um, intimate experience where they hear... Mountaintop the, experience. Yeah, they hear this, hear from the Spirit vo- vocally, and uh, they they feel like they're less than. Like, why can't I hear the Spirit? Why are, why are other friends of mine saying things to me like, well, you know, I just felt like God, God told me the other day, da 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 well, so it gets into this conversation of descriptive versus prescriptive, right? Yeah. That, th- yeah. that this, this isn't how things have to be. This is simply just telling you what happened. So then you you get into this conversation that I think we need to now get into about this idea of revelation, of prophecy, and, and of tongues. Scott, you had a thought? 
Yeah, you know, I, if you talk to people who grew up in the Pentecostal movement, where they are told as a child, if you, this is you'll, you'll hear this from those who are coming out of it, who are no longer in that movement, they'll say, you know, growing up in church as a kid, I'm surrounded by people who are speaking in tongues, who are who are who are saying these, who are are jumping up and down, and they are saying the 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 man, I wish I had a bought a Honda or whatever the 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 tie my bow tie. Uh, um, uh, here's the key to my Honda. Uh, uh, and that they're saying all these things and they would tell me one of these days, you also are going to do this. And they would say, and I kept waiting for that to come upon me that I would suddenly start speaking in tongues. And they were like, it never came. And so I just started doing it. I just started parroting it. I just started, uh, uh, mimicking what they're doing. And, and which, uh, in other words, I I don't I don't have any that that wasn't anything spiritual happening to me. I just did it because I wanted to fit in, mm-hmm. right? And and there's a well, there is a way in which we we do that even in the evangelical world when people will just say, "Yeah, the Lord told me the other day that this is the job I need to take." The Lord told me the other day that this is the college I need to go to. The Lord told me the other day that this is the spouse I need. Or I was praying and the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that. And and if you're a kid growing up in evangelicalism, sometimes you've got to go, I don't ever have the Lord tell me right. any of those things. And, and you, you keep you keep pursuing that. And then what do you eventually do? You just start talking that way, though. You just start putting the Holy Spirit stamp of approval on the thing that you've just decided to do. Right. And, and it just, it's the same thing as the people who just sort of fake speaking in tongues after a while, as this idea of claiming that the Lord is talking to you and telling you things um, when it's it, it, that that's just not the way we see the spirit working. No, and, and, and we've talked about this book before a fantastic book. Uh, for this is Kevin DeYoung's Just Do Something. Cannot, because, cannot recommend it highly enough. Yeah, because he talks about this idea of understanding the will of God in three categories. You have his decrees, the things that he says are absolutely going to happen and nothing can thwart it or stop it. The, they're his desires, the things that he has said to you, hey, live this way in light of who I am or in light of what I've done, um, that we can't obey or disobey and we tend tend to to disobey because we're sinful people and then there's the will of direction which is the thing that we're always trying to kind of figure out where should i move who should i date what job should i have that sort of deal and there's freedom in this will of direction to just do something you don't have to wait wait till you have this this movement in your your uh, stomach or this liver quiver or god said to you moment for you to be able to just make decision right um all that to say um that gets into this conversation then as we think through why we as presbyterians and why reformed people take what's called a cessationist position most of the time why we uh, don't speak in tongues right that's not normative um because as we see the increase in revelation we see the decrease in signs and wonders and you've seen that over the the history of the scriptures that um moses and aaron are given signs and wonders to go head to head with pharaoh's magicians but that's not the main course the main course is let my people go right right that's um, right they those as you see moses is able to do things as he's leading the people out of egypt and into the wilderness but as 
the writings continue. It's a whole lot less signs and wonders, a whole lot less mana, a whole lot less touching the rock. And it's, it's a whole lot more. This is how you treat your neighbor. This is how you treat the poor. This is how you treat the sojourner. This is how you treat your spouse. This is how you should worship the Lord, your God. Uh, and so you, so you get into all that uh, and you see that kind of continuing throughout the history of redemption. Yeah, I mean, what, what does the scripture tell us? That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so as we have the closed canon, as we have the totality of the word of Christ, the means by which God uses to authenticate his word as being true to the hearts of its hearers is the spirit, is that we we have this scripture here. And so, and and I can, I can uh, preach Christ from the scriptures to someone and the spirit uses that to create faith in people's hearts, to grant them belief. So then you have to ask the question, has revelation stopped? Do we have all that we need in the scriptures? Because if you don't believe revelation has stopped, you got to be careful because that tends to put you in categories of cult cultic situations. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, David Koresh, Jonestown, so on and so forth. They all believed in God giving them fresh revelation, right? But right. If we, believe, we believe that revelation ceased with the closing of the canon, and that's how the end of revelation literally stops, right? Don't add to this book. Don't take away from this book. This is it, right? right. Where, where Daniel ends with the sealing up of the book, the lamb breaks the seals open in revelation for John, and this is it, right? And so if revelation has ceased, that means prophecy has ceased because what's right. the purpose? What's the purpose of prophecy? The purpose of prophecy is to point to Jesus. Well, Hey, well, guess what? He's done. He's done all the things. The only prophecies that we're awaiting him to fulfill is his return. That's it. Right. And so then that then answers the question about tongues so that tongues, if they're giving you fresh revelation, we now have a problem. Yeah, and the the role of the prophet we would say has been fulfilled now by the by the preacher. The preacher gets up and opens God's revealed word and brings it to bear on the lives of his people. And in that sense, he is prophesying because he is he is sharing uh, Christ with people. Yeah, he's the, he's standing up, opening the word, and saying, "Thus says the Lord." Right, Amen. which is which is, which is what the prophet pro pro said anyway. So without getting too much into the weeds, because we're going to bring this to a close here. Now you can see kind of where we as a reformed people take this position on why we don't speak in tongues. Mm -hmm. One, we think it was descriptive, not prescriptive in the book of Acts. Two, we believe revelation and prophecy has ceased. And so if we believe those two things, we're not then looking for this secret spiritual language that's going to demand an interpreter to have to give you fresh revelation for you for your life. Yeah, and 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 actually, uh, let me let me say this: we do believe this. But if somebody said, if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, I was a missionary in uh, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. I was a missionary in uh, in Zimbabwe, and I met this unreached people group." that did not speak my language, I did not speak their language, and I began talking to them, and I do not know how to explain this, but they began understanding what I was mm -hmm. saying in their own tongue, and they repented and believed the gospel. I would not go, that doesn't happen anymore. Right. I would say, right. Correct. I that, that's what I see in scripture. I would say, yes. that's not normative, 
But praise God that that's right. actually what we see in Scripture. That's yeah. because tongues in Scripture were a one thing. I would say they were a, they were as much a miracle of the ear as they were of the tongue, uh, mm-hmm. is that they were hearing them in their own languages. Um, but that they're actual languages of people who spoke Aramaic right. suddenly being able to speak uh, Hebrew or Greek or Swahili or or or, or Portuguese or or whatever. Uh, it, it may be. That's that's what we see in the book of Acts. So if I hear of that happening in the mission field for the purpose of the spreading of the gospel, I say I don't I've, I don't I don't struggle to believe that at all. No, we're not saying that it, that God can't do whatever He wants. Our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. What right. we are saying is there is a way in which He has chosen to do things. There's a normative way in which He's laid out out. Uh, the life of the church, that the signs and wonders are always setting up to give authority to the revelation. And the revelation is in in scripture. If you want to hear from God, open your Bible. Now, if God does something extraordinary um, in in a situation, then then praise the Lord, right? We have no problem with that at all. I hope this has been helpful. Uh, if you have questions, if you come from these backgrounds, we would always tell you to hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can always email us at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hopefully this is helpful. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully, especially if you're, if you're new to the reformed world and especially if you're coming from uh, a, 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 a tradition uh, like Pentecostalism or the charismatic world that has, ha- that has thought, yeah, Presbyterians and reform type, they just don't believe in the Holy spirit or they just don't have a role for the Holy spirit. Hopefully hearing us uh, wax eloquently for half an hour about it would cause you to go, wow, I guess these guys actually do believe the spirit is real and the spirit does things. So if this has been helpful, uh, not only would we say uh, to, to let us know, share this episode with, with a brother and sister in Christ that, that, um, that you think would be ministered to by this. Send them a link. Send them a link to the podcast. Send them a link to the website or to our Facebook page uh, so that you can help us get this message out to folks who, uh, who we believe truly are uh, maybe weary from a an understanding of the ministry of the spirit that is that is not liberating but that just is keeping people in bondage always always looking under every rock for for god speaking some fresh revelation to them absolutely and until next time this is assurance of pardon god bless